Why We Bleep is sponsored by Signal Sounds. Earlier this month, an outbreak of mass granulation occurred in the Glasgow area, with Storm Arbha Firmware 2.0 bringing twice the usual quantity of granulation per capita at no extra charge. Once the clouds had parted, the area was left sounding like it had been dipped in angel's tears, and the locals were quoted as feeling absolutely buzzing. The grains lifted, a quantity of bullfrogs was found encouraging young people to take up synthesis, until an oct expander blew in from the south and added full-wave rectified unipolar positive LFOs and a host more good things to oct modules, which are generally found everywhere. People promptly went mad with the possibilities, shrieking 24 modulation sources in 8HP! As they ran into the Folkdale resonant gardens and were never seen again. So if you'd like to taste the rainbow of synthesis that is this golden age of madass things you can actually buy and make music with, visit signalsounds.com. That's signalsounds.com. Why We Bleep is also sponsored by thonk.co.uk. Hey, you. Who, me? Yes, you. Are you looking to get a massive 10% off of DIY kits from thonk.co.uk? Are you mad? I'd be mad not to want that. You would be mad not to want that like a much hair in November. Winter's coming, boy. You could be warming your cockles around your soldering iron, building a Befaco effects boy, or a OYK Knight Rider, or a Seb Song sampler with that 10% left in your pocket. Take that, heating bills. All right, man. Quit heating bills cockles and tell me how I get this deal. All right, you. This coupon gives any customer, new and old, a 10% discount on any full DIY kit from Thonk. It expires at the end of November 2023 and can't be combined with other coupons or applied to other products on sale. The code is COMPUTERWORLD2. That's computer, world, and the number two. Stick that code into thonk.co.uk before the end of November and get 10% off any full DIY kit. You'd be mad not to. Hey, you. Yes, welcome to Why We Bleep. This is a place where we talk to people who make electronic music or the gear that they use, and sometimes both. Although today we're talking to someone who uses the gear very, very competently. Uh, That would be none other than Chris Clark. Now, Clark is a Warp Records luminary. He has been on Warp since, I think, 2000, and is... I. I think you could say kind of one of their stars, like definitely. Clark is amazing and writes this kind of just ultra cohesive, firm, sort of engaging, energizing, storming, banging electronic music. And with very humble roots and gear. Like, if you've read interviews with Clark, he's done loads of really good interviews, very open about his techniques and what he does. 
Um, he's one of these people who makes music that sounds like it's from a singular world. Like, you know, it's a Clark track, you know, the sort of the worlds and the textures that, that go with it. He's built this whole sound. He knows exactly what he's doing. <laughs> If that makes sense. Of course he does. But like he has got a very distinct vision. I've been listening to it for many, many years. So getting to talk to someone and actually just be like, all right then, so what was this about? You know, and, and, and what's going through your head? This is just the coolest thing. Uh, so I'm really pleased that this was possible. And I'm also especially grateful to Clark Chris himself for being so incredibly open and groovy. Uh, that is to say that as a person to interview, he just, he doesn't hold back. He's very earnest and he's very, you know, willing to engage with a conversation like this, which is commendable because it's just not, it's not a given. Not everyone wants to share every aspect of this sort of thing and do so openly and frankly, as he does. Now, this conversation was recorded with Chris quite some time ago. So I have had to go full time in order to make it even possible for me to produce this podcast. Um, and by the way, if you enjoy the podcast, please do consider sponsoring on Patreon. I am shamelessly going to ask that because um, it is helping make the podcast possible and me feed my family. So it's patreon.com forward slash Melodies. And long story short, this conversation being on ice and not being out there was one of the contributing factors to me going, screw this, I really need to just start doing this as my job. Um, and so I had this conversation like nearly a year ago. And my sincere apologies to you, Chris, if you are listening to this and anyone else who, you know, psychically was waiting for this, uh, because yeah, it's a long time. Unfortunately, the that gulf of time means that I didn't get to ask him about his Tom York executive produced album, Sus Dog, that you might be wondering, hey, am I going to learn about good old Tom York and what it's like to collaborate with him? Well, alas, you are not, uh, because although that I'm sure was happening, it wasn't the subject of our discussion. And in fact, this was a conversation held around Body Riddle's reissue. That is the amazing album Body Riddle that he made was reissued last year. Um, and so that's kind of what we were talking about. But to be fair, we don't speak specifically about like the Body Riddle era or anything. I'm not going to miss an opportunity to just talk generally with someone about their process, what's going through their head and try and understand kind of what makes them them in some small way. So I'm going to leave you now in the capable hands of Mr. Clark and I will see you later for a bit more chat. Thanks. musical from like an early age or i was weirdly my family aren't but my granddad was my parents weren't really interested in music but uh i was i don't know if that's unusual it's probably quite common for kids to be into stuff that their parents aren't into though but for me it felt more than that and yeah it kind of just got more intense the older i got but yeah as a kid i played violin a bit and played in orchestras, only, only the school orchestra, but was more interested in drums. Yeah, it's funny. I, I think your early years are kind of, 
they they shape you in some way and it it always felt quite like I was swimming against the current in that it wasn't particularly encouraged by school or parents really do you mean the drums or like surely play stringed instruments are always kind of virtuous well I didn't have a drum kit there was this orchestra once a week and I played for about an hour every week and then in the week would just practice on cushions I don't know if you remember that band living color do you remember them no I used to love them and we'd like yeah play along to their stuff on cushions it's good fun as in drumming on cushions yeah <laughs> I mean, obviously if it's all you can get it's, yeah exactly and then a, and then a yamaha drum machine when i was about 11 i think but it wasn't a very good one but still it's still quite fun what do, do you remember what it was uh no but it had or what it was like eight plastic pads on it that just felt horrible like you couldn't play it with sticks and it had a little sequencer um Oh, I can't remember, but it was, yeah, it was a properly dodgy bit of gear, but quite entertaining to use, yeah. Did you enjoy music lessons, as in, you know, the orchestral stuff that you were playing? Was that, was that a pleasure? No, I didn't, no, I really, I, I mean, I really enjoyed, um, like, folk melodies on my violin, and I would make my own and enjoy deconstructing, the, there was, like, one sort of folkish tune. I think it was just the wrong classical music that didn't really appeal to me. I can't even remember. It was a slight turgid like Brahms or, and, and I know that's probably can be amazing, but not as a kid, it just did not appeal to me. I was into Prince and mm. Public Enemy and then like the Prodigy and it, it just didn't appeal. But then I've always loved Bach and like some classical music, but just not the stuff that we played in the orchestra. And it, yeah, I, t I couldn't connect to it really. Someone once told me that Bach is like um, sort of Cubase in the sense the music is almost arranged in blocks and kind of, I don't know if that's true, but that person had a better understanding of it than I did, that's for sure. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, he'd probably be into Cubase. <laughs> yeah, I probably. Mm. Yeah, no, it's kind of weird. It's like with classical music, it's that I feel like I'm with the composers, but I'm not with the institution, if that makes sense. This might be completely wrong, but I just have this idea that, that the institution of classical music is so certain of itself and how the music should be interpreted. But it's quite a nice, slightly cheeky idea to consider that, well, maybe the composer just thinks you're all really pompous and they just want it, want to hear it in a, in a pub mm. and they don't want to hear that high fidelity recording. They'd be baffled by it. Like, why should it sound like that on record? It, it can feel quite forbidding and... And I, I just don't think you can blame the composers for that. I, I think it's the way it's framed in culture. And it needs to be in culture as well. It shouldn't be. I don't think it's like, you know, I'm not saying like ban it or that. But I don't know. Yeah, there, it, there's just, I'm just ambivalent about its role. But it's, I guess for the soundtracks that like is how the majority of people are still engaging with classical music, which is interesting. Obviously you do, do mm. that too, but it's it's like that's the... The masses do still listen to classical music through films, at least. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's so much amazing classical music, but it's sort of, but it, yeah, it's weird. It's like also modern classical harmony, like neoclassical, isn't really. It's not. It's not really classical. It's well, it it's more like my my last <coughs> album was on DG, which probably isn't doing much for saying that it's not on a classical label because it is but I didn't hear it as classical it was to me it was like a really dark folk record with like two tracks that had live strings on them that were maybe sort of influenced by mm. probably more Bernard Herrmann but some 
other French composers who I love. You know, I was just kind of channeling that. It's probably the most antithetical thing to like punkish electronic music that you could make, but in, on some level, but there's definite gold there as well. Like if you study it off the beaten track, I suppose, I just found it, I found myself really enjoying studying classical harmony. When you were a kid or now, do you mean? It's kind of nowish, yeah, like the last sort of 10 years probably. It seems like you're teaching yourself a lot of things in that way. Mm. I, mean, I did read another interview. You're like, I've been teaching myself. Oh, so you were teaching yourself to like notate, you know, to notate music. Yeah, just enough to kind of get what I want from it. Yeah, I'm fascinated by it. I always feel like it's not sort of a means in itself. It's just that I enjoy the process and I wouldn't ever say that you that if you don't do that, you're not making real music. That's nonsense. I just think that's purely nonsense, but it's really been helpful for me for film scores just to be able to unpick harmony. And I, I just really enjoy it. I really enjoy mm. time away from tools. To be honest, I quite often, I, I've got this perverse fantasy that it would actually be a relief to stop using synths and computers. And it, I don't always think that. I'm quite sort of skits on it, but... I would be fine if I just had a piano and and maybe just wrote songs and did it. I I would, I would survive as a musician, I think, mm. and it would be it would kind of be a relief. There's something about sort of visualizing music away from the tools that I find really enjoyable, and it kind of you feel mm. like synaptic growth a bit more when you force yourself to just like run through a sequence of chords in your head and then try and put them in a different key and like the old school way like when you crack that and realize that that is a way to practice music it's so liberating because you you like you don't need crutches and that I think that's poss possibly maybe that's the romance around traditional composition but there's also a lot of silliness around it because you know you don't want to run with that so far that you're like it's just silly because computers are also amazing and it's not easy to write computer music. It's it's all difficult, basically. That like mm. it's that's the truth of it. I think to do anything well, it's it's really hard. Well, I listen to your music and I'm struck by yours is definitely like one of those musics where you how to put this like the sound design is innately tied with the composition like you know it, right you are designing sounds and you're making music around those sounds and you're following your nose and layering and and what's next what's next what's next and that mm. that is very opposite to the thing of just sitting with a piece of paper and actually and a, a piano which is sort of it like is maybe yeah see no, that's why you would is. be craving it <laughs> but you can do both i suppose is the point you seem to do both quite well you can but you'd be right in saying that it's sort of perverse that i'm saying that they're the, the same they're different i suppose it's like graphic design and oil painting or film editing and theater i feel like that's maybe a, quite a valid you know like it's yeah theater people are like oh it's the script it's the script is everything and it has to be live on stage but it's kind of fun to make a film really paying a lot of attention to the script but knowing it's going to be a film those elements are really worked on and they work like they work without it being a film but yeah sound design is a I keep on saying it's hard I'm not sure if it if hard's the right word it's more just time it's like if you take the attitude that it's not actually hard it's just time that you need then that makes it a bit more kind of friendly to engage with mm. I don't not enjoy doing it I'm absorbed in it but it some things just take a while to you know progress on which is probably how it should be it sounds like, I mean, there are tunes of yours that I'm listening to. I'm like, this, it reminds me of that DJ shadow tune where it's like, you know, just the right thing. 
it must to some degree be like hunting for samples, except when you're creating right. these things yourself. You've got to find the next sound, but it's like, I don't um, know how yeah. it works for you. I loved that first album of his, the one that everyone loves. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It, some tracks take ages. Well, how, and how do you do it? Um, oh, well, every track's different, just constant iterations. But then so, then that, that thing of like making something that you actually did get right the first time, but because you're some sort of like, insane perfectionist masochist you then spend a year making 30 different versions and then end up choosing the first one it's just such a cliche i feel like it's a rite of producer passage to do that weirdly the last interview that i did is exactly the same said exactly yeah. the same thing ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's good i quite like it and, and I, I enjoy making all those versions like i did it on a track for my this recent thing I've finished and it was just a, a soft synth but I spent about four months like re-recording it like note by note on every different synth I had through different EQs and different compressors and had about like 90 stems of this 32 bar melody and then just ended up going oh actually no I think the soft synth version is just better it's just got something that I like it's sort of almost a bit crushing but it is also really funny I find I find it quite funny it's very funny <laughs> I feel for you. You must have learned stuff on the way. I mean, it's not like, it's not waste, surely. It's what's funny is that you do it. And like, I know, I knew it was, I kind of knew all along, but I'm, it's like compulsive behavior just spirals and you just, you're like recording all of this stuff. And against all the odds, you're still just preferring the first one. But for some reason, I just feel like I need to do that to sort of judge myself harshly or something. It's ridiculous. So do you sort of treat it like you're a, explorer of some kind like you've got like a, a line and you're like well i'll just try everything well it was yeah but this was like it was weird because it was like um it was a sawtooth sound with a bit of cutoff like it wasn't doing anything excessively showy there was some modulation on it in the well like a massive chain of plugins that was just doing something really nice and and then i tried to recreate that and like old 70s synths that i love that have just come up trumps like nearly every time but it just wasn't having it i don't know yeah and it yeah it's weird it's just very strange i admire the dedication i mean yeah <laughs> I, I don't know if i have the patience the problem is i don't have the time have you had that similar experience with anything that you've made well no 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 i don't no i haven't like i'm not um i'm lazy in that sense like i am lazy i won't spend that time and i won't i don't make 90 track tracks you know i make five track tracks but it isn't to say that it's better for it no no i don't I, but i i definitely have done it your way as well and i think it is like re really good to just not care it doesn't doesn't mean it actually makes it better that you've put the effort in and i don't do that for every track it was notable for this album track that it was like it was the one that was like people were commenting on like you've got it just stop working mm. on it but it's like i suppose that for you that is so much of it is the sound as well as the thing and it's oh as in when i've been in the melody you know it's like and therefore it feels right that you would hunt for it i'm trying to think of a track i did that i didn't spend that long on like if there's like frau wav or that on the the album the brief fling version that was like really quick and i didn't do it mm. that was no fuss at all so it does happen and then you know there's loads of tracks that i finish in about three days mm. but um yeah, I mean, like I say, it's just it's just different every time, but there have been a few that have, yeah, just taken a while. My brother said this thing once that always stuck with me, where he was like, you're talking about certain music, he's like, I can I can hear the progress indicator. 
where you just know that you, you can hear that it's been done on a grid and that things are going to come in regimentedly on fours and eights right. and stuff. And I don't get that sense with your music. Like, I think um, that's why, like, you know, it feels like you've woven it intentionally oh. to sort of, I don't know, I'm, I'm nice. not just trying to be nice. I'm just like, <laughs> no. it's actually how it comes across. It's, um, and which it would be interesting to pick your brains about, like the getting that sense of the flow of a track. I mean, there's, and there's tunes mm. on there where, they really take their time just to sort of dissipate and like, it's like the track itself is, is just sort of having a sit down and thinking, you know, but mm. I don't That's, quite know how yeah. you make that on a computer. I probably don't know how I made it either. I mean, like <laughs> quite often I'll like, I'll just capture stuff to stereo and intentionally not, well, like I'll keep stems for everything, but I'll, I'll put that at the back of my mind and just work with stuff I've grouped just because it feels more like recording to tape that something's at stake and that it's earned that it, I don't like this thing in music where you just feel like it's just been gone over again and again and again and had all of everything spontaneous smoothed out of it it's so it's so weird and well it's not the the thing that's weird about it is that it it's not weird it's so of our time and we've got our year, ears have got used to that mm-hmm. Like I can see things from the perspective of someone from the 19th century and I can imagine what stuff's going to sound like in 50 years and they don't always shine a great light on where we are, where we're at. Like this thing of just stuff just being gone over so much so that it's this like this sort of manicured static, like when music sounds static, I can't, and like, I'm not dissing anyone specific. It's also in my, like I've made tracks like that in the past and gone through a process of feeling like that's just not it. You know, you have mm. to make mistakes in what you're doing. And and so I've realized over like 20 years, when music has that static quality, I just turn off. I want to hear things be on the verge of falling apart. And and I also think like thinking back to how a composer would think of it. Well, it's just one instance of an idea, like the capture of something that you say is your album should have this kind of elastic, versatile quality where it can be an iteration in a different palette. It can have that slippery quality where, like the the album versions I released, they are to my ears the definitive versions, but they're also not. They're also they, this music could happen in multiple ways on multiple different instruments, and it, it's just an idea. And it's so it's this, it's sort of the primacy of the idea is the thing. But that's not like a cop out and saying it doesn't need to be well produced. But it's all it's just a balance of sort of capturing something that's unrepeatable. And we don't live in a time where things are given that, you know. It's like everything can can just be infinite undo is just not always healthy for mm. art, I don't think. Are you doing sort of long takes of things? And I don't know how you're sort of getting that sense of spontaneity into things. Yeah, loads of long takes. Well, like I'll just record for an hour, just like through a very specific chain of gear. And then that might just feature in, in a few tracks and define the sound of an album. But then I'll sort of mm. make sample patches. But I'm really impatient. I'm so impatient with electronic music, way more than I am with learning piano and sort of learning instruments. I'm a bit flippant. How do you mean? Well, like I'll study. I'm quite sort of rigorous with practicing, probably actually because I'm not as like I've only been doing that for about 15 years, whereas I've been making electronic music for about like 25 years. Like I know what I want from it. I'm really clear about it. Whereas with, you know, like, well, I started learning the cello two years ago and I I was quite diligent about that. But yeah, it's probably just a confidence thing. The adventurous side of electronic music is what turns me on. And as soon as I start being too 
this is I just I don't I don't like thinking about it. I just like doing it. Mm. I don't really like thinking about. If you thought about it, you might just do the same thing you did last time. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, if that's necessarily the case, it depends how. I mean, it seems that you do approach things with a kind of experimental sort of attitude. You are literally putting together a chain of stuff and like maybe I'll smash this through it and see what happens. There was like a period of when I was really diligent and would sort of do experiments in quite a controlled way, like around empty the bones of you, and that was that felt like. There's a parallel in that, like when you learn, when you learn loads of polychords on the piano, you have to, like, I do it in quite a categorical, disciplined way, and I'll do a bit each day, and I'll be really conscious of what kind of harmony I'm learning, and I'll do that for about a year. But then when I improvise on the piano, I'm not thinking about that at all. It's like you have to do that. You have to do the kind of grunt work for it to become a muscle memory. That so that's a parallel between like learning a traditional instrument and a computer. It's kind of the same thing. Essentially, you're just making it become as subconscious as possible. Do you play a lot when you record as well? Uh, yeah, I mean, I do. Yeah, play every day, but I don't practice every day. But I always play. Yeah, try and record as much as I can. To no great purpose, or for like a specific. Do you know what I mean? Are you? Do you put out like the kind of lightning rod, as it were? You're like. I just like recording stuff, and then. F- like having to listen to it and and work out what how I feel about it, I kind of enjoy the slight okay, torturousness yeah. of that process. And also, I just know from the, in the past that it's it's always good. You're always in a better position if you to have recorded something than to have not. And mm. I just don't have that writer's block. I'll just I'll, I can just do it. Like I was re- recording piano this week, and I was playing for about. I just recorded some of the most like awful stuff ever, and was singing as well, and it was awful. But I just forced myself to do it and listened back to it. And I just found it really funny, for one, and also really enlightening because it was just showing me exactly what I was doing wrong. And then three days later, it was, like, really good. And it just feels like you've got to push through that and get it out of the way. And maybe some artists maybe struggle with that, especially when you start off and you've you've written your first track and you've you've got no reference. You've just got maybe one track you've written. Mm-hmm. And if you if you hate it, it's like your world falls apart. But after a while... When you've got like 300 tracks, if one's not, you know, you have that horrible thing when you start where you make something and you're in a really good mood and you listen back a, a day later and you think like, what was I thinking? This is awful. Yeah. But you just get, you just get wise to that after a while. And and I've had this other thing where I can be in a slightly bleak mood, but the music is just happening with, without, without any, my ego getting involved at all. And I'm actually in a, like, not a great mood. But then listen later and it's actually quite good. And it's weird. You just like learn to not, you'd almost like don't need to believe in your own story about what it is. It just gets in the way of everything. Yeah. Believe in the process and just, it will happen. Yeah, exactly. It yeah. It to happen. Yeah. You just need to do it and it, and it, it sort of sorts itself out. And that's the magic of it for me, I think. What sort of like your studio setup kind of over the years and as regards like what you put around yourself and how you set it up is always interesting to me. I, mean, I love talking about studios, but mm. like when you first started out, are you, were you basically still making music the way that you first did it for most, for better or worse? Or are you, is it fundamentally different now? It still feels like it. Yeah. What was your first, like the sort of Clarence Park era? The first setup was, was I feel like the spirit's the same, but the, the, the tools are different. Clarence Park was just a, uh, an Amiga and a CS1X and a Behringer mixer. Sorry, an Atari. 
and an, and then a ESI thirty two sampler. Yeah, which you had to buy. You bought like these zip discs. They could store something like five minutes of music, and it felt revelatory. Like oh yeah, and and so yeah, I would sample like I would make ten minute tracks by halving the sample time on that. Amazing. But yeah, because I, yeah. I had to mix everything. You know, I couldn't really save stuff. Couldn't really go back to sessions. So that's kind of what I'm talking about. Getting back to that. Mm point where you constructiveness yeah exactly you haven't got limitless undo and sort of keeping that alive so in that way it feels similar that is that the esi 32 with the red like strip on it i sort of can see when you said it in your uh, it's got a it's like a i don't think so yeah but it's got it's got mad yeah, yeah i it. think they yeah some of the, obviously um, like uh i know the emu i'm thinking of emu as well like i don't know if, what uh yeah emu yeah was um but you, yeah, there was like the em- yeah, of course it is emu. It is emu. ESI thirty two. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, um, wasn't it Dave Rossum and stuff? That guy behind emu like is known for his like filter designs. He's like a genius. Yeah. So you were sort of you just had like a sampler, a synth, and like I heard you had an effects like Zoom twelve oh one. Yeah, I bought that again recently because I got rid of it at the time probably needed the cash but i got i got one recently yeah it's good really grotty reverbs i really like i've got um so like i've bought these like old lexicons like the 90s lexicons that are like were three yeah and now like yeah it's funny how that happened i love the grain yeah lumpy reverb and it's like but then did you use the other effects in it like the 1201 because it it had like that was a whole like selling point wasn't it the phase is good a few of them kind of glitch, like when you when you cycle through the variations, they glitch in a really pleasant way. It's, it hasn't got MIDI, which mm. is a bit annoying. It'd be good if it had MIDI. But yeah, I do like it a lot. To like sequence it, you mean? Or? Yeah, just to build. Because I'm so used to just building stuff in Ableton that's just got tons of LFOs going whatnot, mental everywhere. Mm. But um, yeah, I do like that Zoom. I don't use it enough. Probably should use it more. I don't know if it's just the aesthetic of how it looks, but... I do wonder whether you could just whether Ableton Reverb, like everyone would laugh if you just used that because it would. But it's probably you can probably get something similar with that with Ableton Reverb. The Ableton Reverb sounds really good though. I think they've they've only made it better and better. But like the got a good chorus effect, yeah. There's a certain kind of like I've heard. Oh, I interviewed the guy from Valhalla DSP, mm. who obviously makes yeah. wonderful reverbs, and his word that he uses that I really loved is cruft to Cruft. describe the sort of digital kind of sh- yeah. kind of fuzz yeah cruft, which i thought was a nice word it's a great word yeah i like that i'm gonna use that um, <laughs> there's definitely a lot of cruft in your tunes a lot of cruft some, some crufty bits <laughs> yeah <laughs> i do obsess about the cruft. in a good in a good way yeah because different yeah. machines bring different levels of cruft like there's a really good plug-in mega verb good hertz which i love got a noise the noise on it's really nice it just modulates really nicely and it seems to be linked to the decay time it seems to interact really nicely mm. and you can it's just got that sort of hissy hiss but not overdone but it's not it's well it's white noise but it it's lush with the filter doing stuff on the top end it's just very crafty <laughs> but yeah it's funny you could i feel like you could get similar results with many different machines it's funny recording cello and and thinking of because i actually i haven't finished it yet but i started just recording white noise on the cello i built a massive 
long sample session out of just bowing on the bridge with the intention of because I've got this one white noise sort of like jam that I use on loads of different tracks and I wanted to do a similar one on the cello but I haven't got around to filtering it yet because there's a bit too much low end do you mean that you've got like a sort of your own like Clark's or yeah like customized library like- but there's something about there's something about asking for I can't remember what they call it like flautando when you play the cello quite high up with a tiny bit of bow it you do right. get like a layer of I mean a classical person wouldn't think of it as white noise but I just think of it as a sawtooth with white noise on it it's a very similar sound and mm. they and they merge together they play together quite nicely like if you sometimes classical sounds and synths sound really cheesy together but as soon as I start thinking about it in terms of synthesis, I feel I feel like I'm on secure ground kind of thing. And it's the same with the voice. When you sing, it's probably really bad for your voice, but like um, that sort of fluty, breathy tone is, you can kind of add layers of, there's something, there's just something about white noise that sounds comforting when it's mixed with a certain set of overtones. Maybe comforting is the wrong word, but it, it like it draws you in. It kind of draws you in to the, the sound image. I have a toddler, so we've mm. been like for the, last two years sleeping with white noise in the room you know and it's like it's hugely comforting like yeah yeah i actually got like a my spl meter out and was like is it too loud right and i came to realize i was like no the the daft thing is like if we lived outside of houses it's noisy all the time like the yeah, world is noisy. it is yeah That's actually normal and it's not normal to live in silence. So it's sort silence, of, yeah. Which is probably same could be said of music. Is it obviously music has to make noise? But what I mean is that you know music can have texture and wind yeah. through it. Yeah, that's a nice way to see it. It's it's not. It's kind of unnatural to to strip that all out. Do you? What's damaging? Is is like seven? I read that seventy dB is quite is is not going to be good. Like if, if you have that for three hours a day, can do you? I think. That now should be okay. It's like, it's 80, I did, I knew this better at one point, but it's about 85 for eight hours is like, that's the safe. That's extreme. Because that's working, you know, for, for sound workers, you know, in the craft worky sense, like 85 dB, you can hear it for eight hours at a time, like constant and you'll be okay. Mm. But any higher for any longer then, mm. and of course it's like for every 10 dB, that's twice the perceived volume. So 95 mm. is twice as loud as 85. And um, mm. like, do you, like, you must look after your ears. It's obviously like. I do now, yeah. 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 Now. <laughs> now. Well, yeah, I've, yeah, I've been forced to, but yeah, like the tube is about 85, I think. Oh, it can be loud. Quite brutal. Certain yeah. parts of the tube. Not the sound we... of the tube though. It's so yeah, amazing. Yeah. It's like a sort of Penderecki concert in you. Yeah, it is. For free. There's parts of so like the central line that are really like, you know, there, there's like a few yeah. screechy moments where I'm like, fuck, like, I'm like, probably this is bad. And it does yeah. it every time as well, which is. It's quite a weird thing to enjoy, isn't it? That, I think that. I, like, no, I don't mean, I don't mean weird. I don't mean it makes you a, a weird person, but I don't all. think like it's the sort of, my mum just would not be able to relate to that at all. Like my, or most people's but just like getting off on just horrible ugly noise <laughs> yeah just, I, I mean beautiful noise i think is you'd like to when think it's when it's so dense and textured and there's so much going on it, that's it for me when it's like when there's just when you can't actually work it out because mm. you i'm quite used to hearing music that i can work out really quickly and it it bores me and so when it when you can't and it's natural well it's not natural it's a train but 
Mm. When there's like when it's so dense that yeah, yeah, it's that's that is kind of a rare treat. It's like it's visceral, it's emotional. Yeah. Mm. The I was thinking of in Berlin the uh, you know the trains there. You must have heard this when they. I can't remember if it's when they stop or when they start. They make PWM. Have you heard that? That meow. It's like I'm trying to do PWM with my mouth. Yeah, yeah, hard. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I know exactly what you mean now. The, um, have you got a recording of it? No, I've just got the somewhere. I have that. There's that you like Soma. It. Have you seen that Soma Ether thing? Which is the no. I know what you're getting for Christmas. Which is you've got to get a Soma Ether. <laughs> it's like this little box which has got like little antenna and basically it's like uh you plug headphones into it and it, mm. it it's like an intense sort of rf receiver but it hears everything like it hears like you put it up to your monitors and it makes tones you put it up to your phone it, like insanity um I'm, I'm gonna write down soma what's it called again so somas as in um brave new world soma and mm. then i think it's brave new world isn't it and then ether yeah it, it is as in, oh, cool. don't, okay. don't drink it. it or inhale yeah. it. But um, it's amazing. And like with that, I remember you go up to a, because when you go up to a dimmer, like light dimmer and turn it, you can hear mm. PWM. So it's like, yeah, right. you can actually hear it because it's narrowing the amount of energy. And I know it's just funny when I heard the train, I was like, my God, that's the, it's a dimmer switch, but I'm actually hearing it because it's so loud. And it's, yeah, there's just like an insane Obviously, the world, that's what's amazing about this is it lets you hear a world that is otherwise unhearable. Mm. Um, you know, car doors and remote locking, all these little noises that are around us, little like microwave things that are probably like frying our brains. Um, that I'm not a tinfoil That's hatter, amazing. But yeah. Yeah, music's or sound, it's quite a subtle pleasure compared to what your visual cortex does. Although music's more sort of instantly distressing because it can be too loud, but it's, it works wonder. It's, yeah. Just alien sounds are underrated. Mm. Searching for it's them. good fun trying to find them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I was just trying, I mean, I, I haven't made any actual music with these sounds, but I just love amping stuff up and just trying to, like using really sort of futuristic sounds through an amp is just gets this, you get this amazing cognitive dissonance because it's like, it is alien. Like I know when I'm, when I use this process, like I, I just know it won't happen again in the exact same way. And I know I've made some novel sounds and that's satisfying, but it's also, it's, I don't know where to place them aesthetically. They're not, they're not retro, but they don't sound like cheesily future either. They're like, they're just odd. They sound quite Ah, alien's the only word I can think of now because it's late, but yeah. Do you mean like reamping like with a speaker and a mic, like taking stuff and putting it yeah, into the just, real world again? Yeah, like building stuff on a desk and then and then like sweeping EQs and effects mm. live. And it's probably like really useful for score work. But I've just got like hours of that. Uh, like I can spend a day doing it and then I just forget about it, but it's just very absorbing. That sounds like a really healthy process in the sense that you make time for doing experiments like which I, I it's like yeah if you're like bored of melody yeah i get so sick of melody sometimes it just seems really like a really like a pointless waste of time <laughs> but you know there was the uh i wrote this down the uh what was the tune oh no there you go obscene harvest which because it was basically half texture you know it was like it was sort of like a textural tune and then a tiny hint of a ghost of like a Rhodes piano starts to appear and then it's sorry is this what a, a what track was it again? I didn't well, I wrote, cut out on the... Ob, 
I wrote obscene observe harvest. harvest. Observe, observe harvest. It's called it, yeah. I might have called it obscene observe. harvest, which is yeah. Now that deserve. that's um, just uh, it's just a load of clashing sine waves through a desk and then being really compressed through a DBX compressor. I can't remember exactly how I made it, but I remember it's really old. And I remember at the time I'd open up live shows with it. I wanted to open the album with it actually, but I think Steve Beckett from what went something like. Well, what are you fucking doing? You can't have that in the shelves on HMV. That can't be the first track. And it's probably a good thing because Hair Bar is probably a better opening track. But I get yeah. to the point. It's it's 2022. You're not allowed to be, you know, not allowed to sort of take yeah. the time with things anymore. You have to give it to them in a minute. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, the kids will, kids will sack you up. Yeah. I can't remember how I made it, to be honest. It was quite, it was a bit of an ordeal, but a fun one. But I, like, I guess I brought it up because of that aspect of texture and processing and stuff. And it feels like, does everything have to be textual in that sense? Or is it like, how are you doing this? Are you No, just... no, not at all. No, I don't really sort of plan for it to happen like that. It's just naturally what I gravitate towards. I guess we're just talking texture. We're just sort of talking layers of saturation or things that are beyond the note. It's in a way it's timbre, isn't it? It's the thing that isn't the notation, I suppose. If you want to really boil it down, it's like the vertical of the music. Chords are just different melodies, aren't they? I, I, like harmony is all just horizontal, but a snapshot of it. Whereas maybe timbre is the vertical aspect. I don't know if it is like that, but that helps. It helps me thinking of it like that. Mm. But it's not like I think about consciously working on the vertical timbre. It just, just happens. You do generally, both at the same time. I can't really remember how I do a lot of stuff because it feels intuitive. Yeah. But you obviously enjoy like things are not just DI'd straight into a thing. They go through things. No, 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 definitely not. Like I love Grouper. Grouper's amazing. She's one of my favorite. Mm. It's like everyone loves Grouper. I don't know anyone that doesn't like Grouper, but I sort of don't want to know how she made it though. I don't think I'm not really a gearhead. Like if, if there was a, grouper thing if she was on why we bleep i don't think i'd listen to it because i wouldn't want to know <laughs> she might not tell me anything about like how we how she makes music and that's fine too i can't th- there's one of her tunes that i've like caned loads and i can't think what it's called now and i feel really bad but like that's just beautiful who do you want like who do you really want on here to kind of because i can think of people i would want to know how they made like current value i love his music but it's a different th- like i would want to i would listen to an interview with him I would I would like to talk to Aphex, but I would not like to talk to him right. about gear. I would like to talk to him about how he stays focused enough to keep the whole image of the tune in mind when you're working at such a like microscopic level. Like it mm. blows my mind because I just don't it's to do with like how can you concentrate so well to weave such a coherent narrative yet you're using hundreds of different elements from moment to moment it's just like i just can't it's just and that's what intrigues me not how you do it but how you how are you doing this like how are you actually you know that layered just uh yeah copy and paste a bit of variation yeah yeah there's definitely some plugins that you that can demystify that you know intricate intricate midi I think it's, yeah, I, I think it's sort of more difficult to make it emotionally compelling, I, I suppose, like in a way that doesn't feel manipulative. And that's, I mean, I get that with scoring films. Uh, like I'm working with a director at the moment and 
they just they needed more emotional music but like and I played him what I did and he was really into it and said said I'm so glad it doesn't sound manipulative because I think a lot of film music does you just know I can only hear so many sort of minor chord progressions without wanting to just run away from everything but um yeah it's kind of to me that's more that's it's quite a subtle craft rather than the instant satisfaction of turning the sequencer up to 180 bpm which i also love doing mm. like i was listening to the old album that i re-released and was listening to like urgent gel hack i probably wouldn't write a piece of music like that now but i remember it's really absorbing at the time Regarding kind of composing for film and TV, I guess there's that aspect you're trying to please someone else, right? Or are you? Yeah, it's well, it's kind of like going on a journey with someone and it, it's good when it's not as simple as that. It's, it's much nicer when it feels really collaborative and you've got like a direct dialogue with the person who is really invested in the film. The main difficulty in it is definitely not the actual music making, it's dealing with feedback and mm sort of knowing how to navigate that it's quite difficult at first but I really enjoy it now partly because it's an antidote to just sort of getting too familiar with what I'm up to as a solo artist and I think they work really well together but it's taken me a while to enjoy that to be critiqued and to be told not to do what you just wanted to do Mm, I don't know it's like it's like you know what your own music is more if you're not permitted to write it for a while it's like I, I remember like having cello lessons and then listening to the bells by jeff mills and Mm. like i heard what it was really like it was like hearing it for the first time because i'd been in this other world and for me it's like that contrast that i it's just like hunger to hear all forms of music and how they interact and contrast but i know you can easily construct an argument that that's wrong and that it's about just doing one thing and being completely obsessive about that and understanding that you can easily say that my way is wrong but for me, it works to have contrast and similarly with scoring, just having to deal with what someone else wants, but still managing to do something you like and that you think is you, you know, mm. that's the that's the challenge. I mean, creativity is just like combining different things. I suppose if you've got the breadth to, if you're listening to all kinds of different things, you listen to two things close to in close succession, mm. it's definitely going to change. You're going to combine and conflate the two in a way that is creative inherently yeah i hope combine and not yeah not rip off yeah (laughs) but like but like (laughs) like in that way that you you know as an exercise you can try and write music like other people and fail and then that's it's a good thing it's like yeah true yeah definitely yeah like you should only fail really i mean depending on what the music is yeah just kind of carry on ripping someone off until you just completely sound like yourself yeah i mean that's what you would do if you go to music college i guess learn how to compose in a certain style but yeah yeah scoring's good it's definitely enjoyable it's just like saying sort of no to quite a lot of stuff as well but do you mean to ideas or to... well just just like just only saying yes to things you really want to do mm. how did you get in? i don't understand how you convert went into this and like because not everyone does you know you've you sort of and that and and doing pieces for live you know for dance and things like that my wife's a choreographer so oh, she gets me she gets me for a good good <laughs> just gets good great Fair i started okay. through her to be honest it like it because the inevitable leap from that is to go to score film i guess 
I think I just passed. I think Steve Beckett from Warp just sent some of my music to the director for the Last Panthers, mm. and it happened like that. There's too much TV though. I think. Well, everything's TV now. It's like, but isn't TV just film? Or is it? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Have you tried composing for like for a show or? No, never. Like I'm interested. Yeah, it's like I, I find the idea of it fascinating. I bet it would be scary, and I know what you're saying about mm. being told like. Nah, don't like it or no i don't like yeah. it but just as in that's not really what i was looking for you know you're like, oh god like, yeah. I, I don't i don't know but i can certainly see why it would be like as you say it's just like something that will refresh you and then you can return to your own music yeah and you're like right i sort of know what i want it i want to scratch now like yeah it is like that if you've got a director that once there was something where they were really into bernard herman and I managed, it was this film, Daniel Isn't Real, and I mm. sort of managed to extract what I want. And I, I probably just wouldn't think of doing that on my own. But if you've got someone there saying, like, listen to this, we want something a bit like this. And if you can sort of in your head go, well, you're not going to get that. Mm. I'm going to do my own thing with it. But do the sort of social dance of going, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I really like that. <laughs> That's the, the difficult bit. Like, because part of me is just going, like, no, I don't want to do that. I want to do this. But you have to play nice to a certain point and it makes it better if you're invested in i think good prompts like that though like, yeah exactly a really good prompt is is great it's like it's just when people like make it more pink you know i suppose but maybe that's a good prompt too it's that sort of classic joke but like i mean bernard herman is a wonderful composer and so it's like well yeah that's a glorious yeah, thing is. to shoot yeah. for so fair enough but um yeah and just like that it makes you think about you're like having characters in stories is so it's changed what I find interesting about music and that like, I just get so into characters in films more than the actual plots of the, I, f I feel like plots just expose characters and characters usually just have one or two things about them. Good characters that come into conflict through the plot. So the plot is so really when you can get inside of another human's head, that's just an amazing actor. I just find myself scoring way more just like feeling my way through the character's personality and flaws and mm. I just get so into it, I find, and it really sparks loads of thematic ideas and that's the side of it. I really, like putting it to picture is one thing, that's like the technicality, nitty-gritty, that's, that's all fine, but just finding a way to climb inside another human's head that's got this amazing plot they're involved in is really, I love it. Turning that into music is like quite a, that's amazing. Yeah. That's a, like, feels like something that an AI should not be able to do. <laughs> yeah. Give it time. <laughs> but, Give it time. Yeah. Don't, yeah, famous last words. I know. That's interesting. Do you watch like the dailies or whatever and kind of, to what extent, how, do, you know, how does that work what's, in reality? What's as, that? as in to like, you know, if you're composing something for a TV show or a film, do you, do you watch it basically, get to know the characters and, and how do you actually do it? I'll sort of watch it once and then read the script and then there'll just be a certain scene that I'll have a loose idea for and it'll gradually funnel down and become more kind of concentrated mm. and specific. The most fun part is the start of the project where the director's like really into one theme that you've done. I mean, that's why it gets so different to solo albums where you've got these definitive versions of tracks. I guess it's maybe it's similar to live versions in that you, you have to be able to think in multiple domains of what the piece could be and what the key is. And that's why it's a technical challenge in a way that an album isn't like you have to know how to modulate and revoice stuff and 
and just sort of build a mountain out of one tiny seed of an idea and composition film when it's good is is that it's like it really is a it really tests you and sometimes that you know it can make a solo album writing process feel a bit indulgent and feel a bit like which is great as well but it's that's what i mean it's like having the discipline of a film where you're responsible when it's not really your work sort of breeds this appetite just to go like ah, i just want to do a solo album now and then get it out of the way but then do you bring that same level of discipline to your like solo album or do you just sort of go like that? Well, sometimes not. Sometimes you enjoy like not doing it. <laughs> yeah. You've earned that. Like you're right. Like with the, the, is it 0510? 510? The like. Uh, 0510. Yeah. Is that like a date? Or what yeah. Is, it is a date. Well, I, the yeah. thing I'm curious about with that is if it is a compendium of old tracks, it's like, how mm. have you done that because that the process of working through hundreds of tracks like especially over god knows how many years is like it's not anyone who makes music would know that doing that kind of retrospective compilation is really hard like picking the tracks and the sequence for the tracks at least speaking personally but i, I know other people struggle mm. with it it's like how do you do it how do I, you I think I think four or five of them were already out on an EP I did. And then I just, there were just ones that I'd sort of listened to a lot. The other ones that, mm. that I liked and thought held up but it's, and went together. Generally, the stuff that I listen to a lot are the ones that get released. Do you have like a process for you stick them on a cloud or something and so you can kind of refer to your own archive? You, Dropbox. You're organized. Dropbox. Like, yeah, pretty. Yeah. Like, and then just on different, in different situations, like, Posh studio monitors, posh headphones, in-ear headphones going for a walk mm. in the other room, like in a shower on my phone, on laptop speakers while I'm cooking. Just as if they passed all of those tests and they sound good on all of those setups, then that's you generally, yeah. I was thinking about the phone speaker the other day, like how they're like little gramophones. There's something terrible about listening to music on a phone, but there's something amazing about it as well. Like you've just got the whole world of music in your pocket. You can just have it with you all the time. On the back of the bus. And it's Isn't like, that what you do? Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> like people like gramophones. I'm going to treat my phone like a gramophone. I mean, it probably sounds better than a, better, an old probably. Deutsche gramophone, <laughs> like a, you know, a yeah. like 30s one. I did try, I went to like a, a regional fair in North Yorkshire and there was a man who had like a, you know, an old school. Oh, really? Yeah, nice. no, he had, um, it wasn't even vinyl. It was, it was tubes. It was wa literally wax cylinders. Yeah. And it was like, they're amazing. I can't, yeah, he was a, an intense bloke. But it's funny you say that because earlier tonight I was having a bath with my son and my son's a tiny toddler, just to be clear. And I did, I had body riddle on in the, uh, we played it on my phone. Oh, there nice. you go. So there you go. It's true. People are doing nice. Even today, people are listening yeah. through the, you know, the rich, like, against the, against against the wall the, to, like, um, amplify it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. That's the old trick. Yeah, <laughs> put it in a cup. Yeah. It's quite good, both speakers, like, covering them in foil. That's a good one. Is it? And then... Make a kind of... Yeah, they resonate. And then I've done that a few times, just on album oh. outros. Oh, but, yeah. And so they, like... do live Doppler, Yeah. That's interesting. Live Doppler. I do like shoving my phone in my mouth to make a talk box as well, which works surprisingly well. I haven't tried that. <laughs> if you find the speaker, you can like jam it in your mouth and fully talk box it. Mm -hmm. um, I have got a real talk box, which I barely used, if I'm honest, which is kind of a shame because it is an amazing concept. Yeah, I've never used one. Shoving a, but, yeah. a sound in your mouth and see, <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> 
there are a couple of other things I wanted to ask. Like the, it's interesting this sort of approach to like track size as well. There's a particularly kind of Clark phenomenon, which is the the sort of one minute track and the the really short vignettes. And I yeah, obviously it's a really old tune, but I just wanted to shout out Oakland's, which is from Clarence Park. It's like a really good example of that, where you've got just one idea, like a really beautiful, yeah, and that's like what sounds like a reverb piano that's then been reversed. And it's just like a gorgeous loop. And it's not really a question other than just to sort of observe your approach to like not being afraid to do really short tracks. Sometimes it's just really obvious when something shouldn't be continued and just should stop. I suppose that's all there is to it. I'm not like 100% right, but I'm not, I'm nowhere near 100% right. But like, yeah, generally, I think there's like this ratio of 80 20 where like I've got, I've got an intuition that something shouldn't be more than what it is. And like, you know, all of those haiku tracks, no part of me is going, oh, well, this could have been longer, couldn't it? You've left that a bit short. It's like, no, that that's not the case. There's, there's some things you just shouldn't overdo. And haiku tracks are a bit like that, I suppose. Haiku tracks, is that what you're... I suppose that's what I call them, yeah. Um, because, that, yeah, they're just succinct, mm. succinct little palate cleansers. Yeah, they are. But they're quite often my favourite tracks. Not just of mine, but of other people as well. Short little ditties. They always connect to other things on the album. So it's like like my last album on the DG album, there was quite a few tracks that... They're, they're, it's all just one track, basically. I listened to the album as one track for mm-hmm. so long that the PQ mark is just an, an annoyance at the end. The haiku is the sort of outro of something in some way. Yeah, but I never, I never intend to write short tracks. It just happens. Just sounds so haphazard. As everything I'm saying is like, I don't intend to do anything. It's everything's an accident, which sort of feels like it is. Well, that may well be true, but obviously it's your judgment that is what. Yeah. Sort of, it's all intuition. Yeah. But I mean, like, you are judging what is kept, therefore, and what we hear. Yeah. Therefore, it's not accidental. Anymore. A minute's like a long time. A minute's still quite a lot can happen in a minute. Hmm. I was researching airline accidents and a lot of them happen within about a minute. Like everything goes pear shaped <laughs> and it ends very badly for everyone. But yeah. like, it is insane. You are right. <laughs> the amount of time is not long, but yeah. it probably feels like a lifetime to those people. But I think yeah, it's, it's that having the sort of wherewithal to know not to frig with it. Yeah, I suppose so. It goes against what I was talking about earlier with the recording layers and layers of synths and you end up just using the first one you know don't know where my intuition was there i think my intuition was saying it will just be fun to do this Mm. in a perverse way just to see what the melody sounds like in so many different contexts sometimes you just get swept along by that process another clark thing that i always like is the um, your approach to naming tracks is quite sort of like almost like whimsy and wordplay to the to that i don't know if whimsy wordplay i don't know i don't know yeah it makes me sound like i'm denigrating it really. <laughs> but like <laughs> they're alliterative and they're sort of no, playful is, you're not at all <laughs> um yeah i don't know that it, it feels difficult but then as soon as you finish an album and the tracks are out there i just, i don't really care I, I suppose i don't really care that much about them how do you name them how do i name them i don't, I don't know it's just something I can't, I can't explain it. I really can't explain it. It's just like, why do I like tea and not coffee? I don't know. <laughs> I know what you mean. I like coffee though. No, I like but just not as much as tea. You prefer tea? Tea is a better drink. I, I, yeah. I doff my cap that I'm not wearing to you because that 
I've like I've seen polls where it's like in fact I put a poll on Twitter of like tea versus coffee. Everyone was like coffee. I'm like, nope, you're wrong. It's tea. No, it's so wrong. Yeah, tea is on, the best one. Don't stop pretending. People just pretending <laughs> that coffee's better. Tea. I mean just to annoy me. I wanted to also ask you about finishing music as a process, which is like I know mm. that's a bit daft because you're like a signed artist, so you have a job to release music. But it is mm. still, I think, noteworthy. There are other people, even on the label that you're on, that don't release a great deal of stuff, whereas you've like consistently put music out every year. It's a really good question because it it's a bit of a mystery and, it, and it, it does come down to taste. I can say that, but on the other hand, I can also know that there's this like categorical feeling you get when something's done that you just don't want to touch it and that, anything you're doing is not it just becomes this diminishing returns thing and then you realize that there's like a perfect imperfection to something and that's like this thing that i was talking about earlier where it's a moment captured and more time on it isn't going to make it better and it might make some aspects better it's like all of these things are intuitive judgments but now when i like when i try and analyze it now which i'd never actually have done that it's maybe this ratio of like you know what you could work on and improve, but you know that you'd lose something by doing that and it, would, it wouldn't necessarily be something tangible. I don't think your audience hear music, like pro producers and audiences are two different species of human. Like they, I was playing something to my manager that I'd been, he's a real music lover, but it was something that I hadn't really finessed. And, he'd, and he, he just said, oh, it just sounds like this bit's got more energy and he was really into it, but I was just like screwing about the EQ. And it's just important to remember that sometimes though people that aren't music makers have the best feedback on your what you're doing. Mm. And we'll often choose the more vibey mix. There's this Hudson Mohawk track I love called Scud Books, and I heard the demo of it, and I heard the album version. Like, the, the demo was clearly a demo, and then the album one was, like, more produced. But it's like, oh, it's more produced. I didn't – I still loved the demo because mm. it, just, it just was such a great idea, really well done, and had just such an energy to it. And – I judge myself way more harshly and I don't know why. Like I would probably do what he did and do like a really produced album version. And I'm just quite aware that you can just go down so many rabbit holes and it doesn't always serve the music well, I don't think. So I'm not saying just rush it out, but I'm just saying the caution that you can take in just overdoing things can just kill music. Mm. It can just kill the energy. Definitely can, especially nowadays. You can always mix something more. There's like... Fab filter plugin where you can just have like a node of EQ and automation of like 0.1 dB and like, and th there's just plugins like Soothe where you can just endlessly smooth out every notch, every interesting light resonance that is a bit jarring, get it better for Spotify so it doesn't disturb anyone in like Cafe de Niro, like whatever that cafe is called. Cafe like Niro. Costa oh plugin. God. Cafe de Niro. Cafe de <laughs> <laughs> with Bernard like Herman strings can, in the background. Yeah. With Bernard Herman strings, yeah. You can just you can notch all the interest out of your music with too much time. But also what I'm struck is the fact that you're you're super experimental, but you're also like not allowing yourself to just like get lost in a you know, fields of like field recordings and stuff. You're lit you are like no like at the end of the day that a tune has to be written and a tune is written from start to finish and that's sort of I don't know yeah. how you do that, like, other than you know you've got an obligation contractually to release some music by 
X day. It's not, it's not that. It's more just, I don't know. It's probably just confidence and a take on things. I don't know. I don't even know if it's confidence. It's just having a take on something is the most important thing in music, I think. Do you mean so you can say to yourself, it's done? Like the sense of decisions being made. I like, I like feeling decisions. I don't like, I don't, I don't like it in music where like the, the melody could be that. It's like, well, it could be that, but it could also, I don't like sort of wasted notes and like that feeling of like, did they really mean to put that note there? And I get annoyed because I, it's not personal. It's not like I'm berating the person that made it, but I'm berating what my ears are hearing. Mm. <laughs> I just have very strong opinion, and like in my own stuff as well. I'm just pretty ruthless in terms of just getting rid of things that aren't up to scratch. But that's all subjective, you know. It's weird though, because I like jazz and jazz has got, that's just like all the wrong notes all, all the time. You, but you but don't listen like to jazz it. all the time, I suppose, is the point. No, you don't. Fair no. enough. <laughs> Otherwise, that would be too much. Uh, not to denigrate jazz. <laughs> Final question is, um, we, we haven't really talked about gear, and this doesn't really need to be answered in a geary way, but it is mm. geary. It's kind I of like a geary that. thing. Are you geary? Geary. Hey, I'm geary. Um, <laughs> what is the future of music technology? Or what would you like it to be? I'd like it just to, I'd like, I'm really basic. Like if I had DSP from 2002, I'd be happy if latency was cracked. If you could just have all your plugins, everything going on, bananas, fireworks, and, and, but just no latency, that would be good. But I don't think, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't know. I don't know enough about the tech, but that would be fun. I'm I'm not that into surround sound. Mm. I'm not that into surround sound. I mean, I like stereo, but I don't, I don't get that excited about, oh, that, that happened behind me. <laughs> That's not going to make me like a track. Correct. Yes, that is absolutely right. Although with that said, actually, I was think there was a specific thing on one of your tunes, which was a, a stereo thing, which were the kicks on Body Riddle. Brilliant you've got, mistake. You've got like, mistake. you've got kicks that are really wide and then the rest of the, suddenly the beat is like relative maybe it's just my ears but i was like wow the kick is like spread and then the, the rest of it is not and you've got these massive sounding things which is i mean so you were using space in a good way it was written on a really uh, quite a bad old pc so but i did go through a phase of crazy stereo stuff i, I do like it on headphones but it can be a bit distracting at the same time I, uh, the future what i like doing a lot is playing like playing instruments through a, a separate laptop with loads of DSP on it. So you just use like the laptop as a pedal board. Mm. That's, that's fun. And that would be really good with no latency. You could just absorb yourself in this mad world of like augmented, like augmented reality, especially just walking around the house with headphones on, like everything you're hearing has got like seven modulating pitch shifters and eight different reverbs with, that's quite good fun. That feels really indulgent. I could do that. Back all day to, you could almost do that like there was a do you remember there was an app there was like rj dj was the app and it was like oh no i don't know you put on you put on like your iphone things with the like cord and the mic and it in it mm. remixed the real world oh, it right. added like delay and pitch shifters and stuff it was like really trippy uh, they beat me to it um but I, I don't know if it exists anymore rj dj it was definitely or is that the artist no it was it was a thing uh, reality jockey it's a bit annoying when it's a bit annoying when presets always have loads of delay and reverb on them well i think they do that to sell you on 
That's that's something that if that if the future of music could not be that, that would be good. Because <laughs> you want to put your own endless amounts of delay yeah. reverb on those things. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> so latency is the problem. I mean, that's that feels very solvable. Which is like get the new Maybe, yeah. one of those new posh Macs. They're really good. I haven't. No, I would. I've, no, I've got an old, quite an old Mac. Strongly recommend like the M1 ones. The M1 ones are mm. bonkers. Like you can chain plugins. I'm not, I do not work for Apple, but like it's ridiculous that you can just go. Right. Like I had every single Archeria plugin that they make running at the same time in a session just to like making sound, just to see if it would break. And it was at like 43% DSP, which is nice. With like 33 plugins like making sound at once. I was like, this is really good um so that may be solvable like and then you can just walk around with your macbook and just remix the world with headphones yeah, well, yeah. Sounds quite good. or I could just play the piano for a bit awesome forget forget about my yeah forget about my computer for a while then it'll be one of the two probably <laughs> both at some point that also sounds good yeah but yeah no I, that would it would be satisfying to have no latency does audio just it feels like it's hit the limit of what like surely new computers are just built around really posh visual processing because that takes up so much more CPU. It feels like audio's kind of hit a limit and there's probably not that as much interest in it as there is in virtual reality coding and Do you mean in terms like of that's, the DSP that's, itself? That's a new frontier. Yeah, like that's the new frontier of technology. Sound feels a bit done to me. Well, I don't uh, like I know that's I don't mean that in a bleak way, but I mean like novel sounds are it's quite niche it's quite a sort of niche thing whereas everyone's on their phone looking at content and and so all of the the, the sort of drive in technology is towards mad cgi yeah the visual i think not that that's better i don't think it is better i, I like i i'm not saying i'm not saying i'm saying it's sort of quite neutrally but those macs that i'm talking about like what their cpus are running yeah. on are posh they're because of mobile phones. Bitcoin. So Bitcoin that's what they are. It's just actually like Bitcoin miners. Yeah. But then they, they're so fast because they are literally taking super efficient processes that were developed for mobiles and then having a lot of them in a small space. And you, mm. you can make something that is that consumes very little power and is actually like 10 times faster than the best existing Intel wow. processor. And so it is bonkers. Like you, the DSP on the Mac M1s is bananas but the all right but as to, as to software i guess the sky's the limit i suppose you if you've got tools like max msp and stuff then and if you've got computers with limitless or not limitless processing but but 10 times what they were then you really can cook up mm. insanity and there are plugin companies that are just yeah making all kinds of weirdness as well as the whole ai thing which i don't it's not at a point where it should worry ev everyone but there's definitely going to be a point where you can say, I want music in the style of Clark. It will probably have been trained yeah. on your music, which is frightening. Yeah, definitely. That's not that far away. And it's, and it's also a bit of a legal quagmire because they are not going to be yeah. paying you, even though it's your music that they listen to and train the algorithm on. So that's coming. Yeah, or like, yeah, just Spotify, but with AI sort of customising a medley of yeah different artists. Dizzy Rascal rapping over this Chopin waltz with Lars Ulrich doing the beat or something. <laughs> I mean, I would listen to that. Just, I mean, I, I can't yeah, I say I wouldn't not that. listen to yeah. that. But, uh, yeah. But no, none of them are getting paid. Is the point? Well, 
thank you for your time and sharing your thoughts with me. Cool. Yeah. Thank you so much. Oh, yes. Thank you, Chris. As I said before, I just was struck by his frankness and openness. Like, it's just a very useful trait when it comes to conducting an interview with a person. Um, And you wouldn't expect for someone so goddamn legitimate to necessarily want to share everything about their process. And obviously, as you hear, there's a lot that feels like it can't even be articulated. I'm sure there's a lot that... Chris himself has just can't quite put his fingers on in terms of how he does it. And there are lots of times where he's like, I don't know how I do it. You know, it's just just kind of what happens. He's responding to his inner voice in some way or his inner urge. And gorgeous, beautiful musical things come from those inner urges. And so I thank you, Chris, for putting your urges in the recorded form. Yes, you should dang well go and listen to Clark if you haven't already. If you really haven't, you really are in for a treat. There are lots and lots of albums because Chris is prolific and like some of the warp artists has been putting out albums very regularly. So we are blessed with lots and lots of music to listen to. Uh, and obviously there's this recent thing with uh, Tom York, executive producing Sus Dog, which just also sounds absolutely stunning. Um, but yeah, loads of music. Go and listen to it. It's absolutely brilliant. You can thank me later. Um, yeah, I've been pondering this. I mean, I was, I loved that the, Chris, on like on a couple of measures, echoed other things that people have said on this podcast, basically echoing Caitlin Aurelia Smith, where she had said that she basically does musical exercises without the fear of whether they're good or bad. You know, uh, you just, sing or you get uh, Chris Chris was saying you go at the piano and you just sing and play and and it'll sound like shit and that's fine because you're kind of opening up correct me if I'm wrong but you seems like you're opening up your kind of creativity your chakras for want of a better term to just allow music to come forth and I suppose in a kind of um you know you just put it out there almost like you're using some kind of generative sequencer and then reflect on the recording and just see if there was anything in there that you actually liked. But as he says, he's like, you know, you can do that for days and days and it sounds like absolute crap, but then then there's just a spark. After enough time or um, of something has clicked internally or your judgment has changed, then suddenly you discover that you've entered a new room. You know, you've walked into a new room and you're like, oh, God, I've actually come up with something that I just would not have considered before. I've pushed myself beyond my safe zone. And I think that's really interesting because obviously, when we think about it laterally, like how are you going to invent new music if we're not straying into weird territory? Like it has to sound weird and shit for it to be new. I read this somewhere that apparently... um, all truly new sounds sound like white noise to people. You know, when you hear people listening to music that's new and modern and they're just like, oh, it just sounds like noise, doesn't it? 
because apparently it really does. Like it really does just sound like noise because your brain doesn't even comprehend the structure and how it's supposed to be arranged and can't pass it basically. So it just sounds like double Dutch, but you know, you listen to something over and over and, and it, you get the hang of it. That seems to be like quite a good process for coming up with completely weird original music, or at least taking yourself out of your comfort zones. It's going to sound shit. And it also echoes something that I've thought for ages, which is just like, well, it's a John Cage quote, in fact, which is that you've got to separate your judgment from like the doing. That is to say, you should make music and judge music as two separate activities. Make it, and just get it made and you can judge it later but don't judge while you make it because that will stop you it arrests your openness and ability to 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 like go down a path that might initially not sound very good as we all don't sound necessarily very good when we first start making music but we we get the hang of it so yeah lots to ponder and lots of music to listen to Chris Clark is a G. Uh, and uh, I can confess, I have recently purchased on eBay a Zoom 1201. Because really, I've always... Like, I, I got into music making when the 1201 was, like, current. That was, like, the, the hot the hot affordable thing. I never had one. I had, like, an RFX 1000. I didn't, never had one. I'm pretty sure I never had one. And so... I bought one, uh, so let's see if it's any good. Uh, it was 35 quid. Like, how can it be bad for that? Anyway, Chris, Clark, thank you for your frankness and your insight. I also want to thank Matt Milligan, who edited this podcast. Thank you, Matt. Hired Matt to do the editing that helped me out a great deal. Thanks to Signal Sounds and thonk.co.uk for sponsoring. Computer World 2 would be the code at thonk before the end of November. And finally, thank you for listening and if you enjoyed this please do consider sponsoring on patreon patreon.com forward slash mylar melodies um, would be hugely appreciated help me literally keep the lights on um, and produce more podcasts so uh yeah and if you can't afford to get on the patreon thing that is no bother but please consider sharing this episode telling your friends about the podcast that can be free and also helps enormously so that's all for this month. It's been a beautiful one, and I want to thank you. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Bye.